legends and welcome to Unbeatable You, where we connect, thrive and conquer. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm super grateful for your valuable time. So let's just dive straight in. Keep thriving and enjoy. Morgan T. Nelson, international speaker, podcaster, author, and founder of Australia's fastest growing personal development company, Dream Out Loud. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Thank you so much for having me, my man. I'm fired up to be here. I'm glad we could squeeze this in and make it happen. Absolutely. Pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. You created financial freedom by the age of 23, and you made your first million dollars by the age of 28. I would like you to take us back to the time where you were an apprentice carpenter just scraping by and experiencing what sounds like some of the darkest times of your life. Yeah. Which part do you want to go back to? The part that hits home. The part that is your reality that made you want to make change. Yeah. Well, look, I I had no idea what I was going to do when I left school. That was kind of where it really all came back to. And... I left, I left school, had no idea. No, I was not going to go to university. That's one thing I knew. I was like, not going to go to university um, by choice, but also I would not get into any, anything. Like my OP school was so bad where I couldn't study a thing. And so the teachers in that said to me, they said, well, okay, we recommend what you could do and we recommend what you don't do. What we recommend you do is go do something with like a trade, like a mechanic, a tradie, something like that, trade time for money. What we recommend you don't do is anything in reading, writing, journalism, or speaking because it's not your strong suit at all, you know. And I've been a bit of a rebel since day one, right? <clears throat> no, but so they they told me all that, and and so in the beginning I thought I was like, well, yeah, my English sucks. I can barely read. Uh, in fact, I never read a book at all until I was twenty three years old, and I could I could barely write. My and not much has changed to be honest. And so I left there doing what I thought I had to do. So. A friend calls me up one day and he's like, hey, I've got a job for you. Because when I left, I was like, I just need a job. I just need to make some money. Apparently, that's what the world's all about. Go trade time, get a paycheck. All right, let's do that. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, i got a job for you. I said, cool. What is it? He goes, you want to be a chippy? I said, what the fuck is a chippy? <laughs> he goes, you know, a carpenter. I said, we're laying carpets. And he's like, no, fucking building houses. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be sick. You know, I grew up building cubby houses and shit. Like, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Like, you know, get a tan all day long, finish at three, go to the pub, go for a surf. Like, that sounds like a good life. So I, I dived into it. I dived into the apprenticeship lifestyle with, and very, very, very quickly. In fact, actually my first day on the job site, my boss comes up to me at 3.30 in the afternoon and we start work at six o'clock. So nine and a half hours in today and he comes up and he's like, you can go home early today because it's your first day. I was like, nine and a half hours is early. What's a normal day? He says, well, usually we'll go to about five o'clock. And I'm like, for how many days a week do we do this? And he's like, five, usually six. And I asked off the question in my head. I said, how many years do I do this for? And the answer was until the day I die. Damn, that's what life so just I just remember it hit me. I was like, a year ago, I was at school. Life was sick. Parties every weekend. No responsibility. Wagon school. Hanging my mates. Now I'm like slaving away doing something that the only reason I'm there is because I just want to make some money so I can go and travel. That was it. So we, uh, I very quickly hit me where I was like, I've got to find a way to make a lot of money in this thing so I can just go and travel a lot more and have the freedom I want. Because if this is going to be my life, I've got to figure it out. And I started looking around me um, and I saw that we were on a building site and here's the food chain. Here's me as the apprentice getting the worst jobs, getting the worst paycheck. Then there's 
the tradies make 40 bucks an hour. Then there was the the bosses making the carpentry gang, right? And I was like, oh, maybe one day I could do that. But then I looked up. I was like, who are we building these houses for? One day the guy drives in his building site in a brand new BMW, like quarter million dollar BMW, gets out. I was like, who the fuck's this guy? And they're like, well, that's the developer. I'm like, I want that car. I want that life. He's wearing like a suit on the building site. We're doing the work. He's, he's just overseeing it. It's like, how do I get to that? So in my head already, I put this story and I was like, I'm going to become an, uh, a full qualified carpenter. Like that's my vision. Like I want to become a builder. I want to be the developer. And I want to be retired by 50. That's the goal. So when I set a goal, and I, and I think a lot of people, like if, if you're really fixated on a goal and, and we're so clear on it, quite often we're willing to tolerate moments of uh, hardship, moments of challenges, because we know that one day it'll get better than what it is now. At least we hope anyway. And I think if we don't have a vision of life, we don't have a goal of our future, when challenges come, people quit. And I really think that's the re- main reason why a lot of people end up living an unmeaningful life or a life that's just not inspiring, or it's shit. They wake up one day, they're 30, they're 40, they're 50, and they look at themselves in the mirror, and they're like, how did I get here? 20 kilos overweight, single, not happy, I'm broke. What happened? The reason is because they never actually got clear on what they wanted. Number one reason people won't hit the things they want in life is because they don't know what they want in life. So what I was doing was, I knew the end goal was I need to be a builder. So when all the hard times came, I thought they were normal at the time. So these times where, you know, we're working, we, we went up to Mackay and we're working 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day up there now, seven days a week, three weeks straight. I'm an apprentice still, first year apprentice, 18 years old, and I'm getting paid $7.50 an hour. And I'm just cooked. Like my body is cooked. And it didn't take me too long before I started to look around and be like, how do you guys survive? Like, how do you guys get up at four o'clock in the morning? on the building site by five, then at home by 8.30 at night. Like, how does this, how do you do this day on, day in, out? And what I noticed was every single one of them was drinking every single day when they came home. Then they were taking drugs in the morning every single day to get out, drugs to keep going during the day. And I was like, oh, fuck out. That's what it's about. So my environment started to really shift what I thought was normal in the world. And so then it wasn't too long before I started drinking every single day, taking drugs in the morning every single day, taking drugs to wake up every single day. And this was just a cycle. This lasted 10 months or so. And every single day was just so freaking depressing, uh, anxious, but I didn't know what these feelings were. I didn't know because before it, I was just feeling like amazing. Now I'm in this dark, shitty place with people who I don't want to be around. I'm only there because it's my job. And, you know, we're drinking every single day. I'm on drugs every single day. And my life has soon switched from uh, working to live to living to work. And that's just exactly what it was. You know? and, and if you're asking for the, the, the pits, the biggest pit was really, you know, here I was 19 years old. It got so bad where all the pain got so bad inside and the anxiety was so high. My self-worth was so low. My self-confidence was so low. And uh, I thought it'd be more painful to actually stay here than it would be to leave. You know? So I, I tend to take my own life. Um, and I'm quite grateful for it actually because it made me wake up and be super clear on what actually mattered. And two things that matter was the only thing that really matters in this world is how I feel about myself when I'm by myself and the people that are actually around me in the darkest times. So I decided to get out of there, came back down to the Gold Coast, 
I made a decision that nothing would ever be more important than my own happiness ever again. And what changed since then? What was the, thank you for sharing that. Um, what was the first steps that you took to move away from that darkness and into, towards the direction of where you are now? I remember calling a friend one time and I knew it wasn't normal. Here's the big thing. Like, and I think, you know, and I'll like, I'll, I'll never support like suicide awareness campaigns. Um, but I'll support to the day comes home to the, to the end of the day, whatever that saying is. Right, Maybe to the cows, the cows come, come home. home. I'll support to the cows come home how to live an incredible life. Because I think if you can live from prevention, it's 10 times better. I'd rather put so much incredible stuff out in the world that people actually know how to regulate their own emotions and how to deal with hard times and how to become a resilient, incredible person versus being like, oh my God, yes, let's talk about how depressed you are and let's all trauma bond together. <laughs> I don't think that's very suitable, uh, right? But what I, what I uh, did was I knew that I didn't feel good. I was like, this feels weird. So I'm just going to talk to somebody I trust. And I remember just calling a friend. And I'd be like, I just want to talk to you. And I think she knew something was up. And I was just like talking. And I was like, I don't feel good. Like, like everything's like strange. I'm not sure, you know, uh, like I literally didn't know I was severely depressed. I was just like, I don't understand why. Well, you were numb be from all drinking and alcohol. I numbs guess. you from everything. It's just, It'll change the way your brain functions. It'll do, disassociate yourself to how you really feel. And then even when you think you feel something, you won't even know because you can't think properly. Yeah. I, I Like looking back on it now, like we're over 10 years now, I was 19 when this happened. <clears throat> I think I was just this little kid trying to get his way around the world, trying to get things happening. Um, but yeah, probably so dissociated from everything. They were just trying to push everything down, but I didn't know how to call it anything. This was also before that it feels, feels so fucking old talking about it. There wasn't social media. There wasn't like people, there wasn't this content getting mm. put around and podcasts and clips that people were like, oh my God, I can resonate to that. I understand that. All it was was the people around me was negative, broke, depressed tradies. You know, so the people I'd look around and be like, well, this is actually really normal. I should hate my life as well. Cause that's what, and that's what they all do. Everyone up here fucking hates their life. So you started to believe that this is the norm. Yeah. So I just like, cause that's the thing. The people you surround yourself with will determine how you perceive the world. And it's going to start to literally reshape. There, there's a test I've done. I share this at every single event I talk about. I literally open up my days talking about this because the power of the people you surround yourself with will literally determine who you become because they put six monkeys in a cage. The scientists did this test. Six monkeys in a cage. In the cage, they put a ladder. And the ladder, they put some bananas. Every single time a monkey would go up the ladder, they would squirt the other monkeys with freezing cold water. And so eventually the monkeys would figure out, hey, every single time you go up there, we get punished. So we're going to beat the shit out of the monkey every single time it tries to go up there. So someone goes up, beats the shit out, comes back down. The scientists then take out a monkey and they put in a brand new monkey. He goes up the ladder. gets a shit beaten out of him, not sure why. Then they put another monkey in. They say, replace another one, put another one in. He goes up the ladder. It's shit beaten out of him by every single one, including the one who came in before, but he didn't know why he's doing it. He's joined in. Mm. And then they kept replacing monkeys until there was six brand new monkeys in there. Not one had been out the ladder and not one had been scoped with water. Now, if you would talk to the monkeys, say, yo, bro, why don't you go after your bananas? He'd probably say, well, he'd probably say one or two things. That's just the way things have always been done around here. Or he would say, fuck, I didn't even see that there was bananas because they become so oblivious and block it out so like unconsciously It'll create a, like a mental scotoma where they'll become blind. There is a reticular activating system won't even pick up potential opportunities in their life because they've blocked it out over and over and over and over and over. 
And then I start to think, you know, where else have people been, what's the program that they've been conditioned with growing up? What's the environment told them on how to think, act, believe about money, about themselves, about relationships, about this world? You know, so you could literally pick up a person, put them in a different community and be a whole different person within, I don't know how long it takes, but not very long. I'm sure if you took one of the monkeys out, put him into a brand new cage where they all ate their bananas, he would eventually, he'd feel very scared at first. Like, what the hell? You can't do that. Not sure why you can't do that. But eventually he'd be like, oh, this, is, this is good. That he'd probably start to join in and his perception of normal would change. But he didn't change. His environment changed. So you asked what I did. I spoke to someone. I just started actually expressing like, this is, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, and then after I attempted to take my own life, I realized that shit was pretty fucked. And I was like, you know what? The first thing that came to me was um, the people I'm surrounded with now, I don't feel happy around. But who I was with before, I felt absolutely incredible. So I just sort of clicked on. I was like, if I surround myself with good people, I'm going to feel better. So I left, I left the environment. The, the very first thing I actually did the next day, I remember thinking, I need to put better stuff in my body. I need to feel because we've got an internal environment and an external environment. So I'm going to start eating better and exercising. That really started to help a bit. And then I think I got a little bit more clarity. And I was like, I'm going to get out of this community. So I left. That was, that was the very first thing. I, I completely changed my environment. And I made sure that I started surrounding myself with people that I felt happier to be around. Started doing things that was more meaningful to me. And so, I, but it was very hard because it mean I had to give up essentially on my big vision of becoming a builder, right? Because I thought that's why I stayed in there for so long. Because I was like, I'm going to keep going through all the shit, keep going because I'm going to get there one day. What I realized was if it's too hard, it's probably not for you. Like there's, there's challenges and then there's the universe straight up just saying, stop trying this way. It's not for you. We've got something better planned for you. And that's why I truly believe happens. I came back down and I, I finished my apprenticeship eventually just in a different style, how I thought it was going to happen. And, and I think a lot of people try to construct their own vision they try to say this is how it's going to play out for me i'm going to be successful i'm going to be i'm going to have this i'm going to whatever and this is how it's going to happen i'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and if it's anything off that path they think they're failing but that's not the case because we can never connect the dots looking forward we can only connect them looking backwards right so the best thing to do is to actually go what it is i want what do i want get super clear on the end goal why do i need it and then be absolutely open to the possibilities along the way I love that. I want to circle back to what you're talking about with the environment and the fact that you kept making those poor choices when you're in that environment. I did some work in juvenile detention centers and running programs in there years ago and uh, they were run amazing programs and I was in there doing some mindset stuff and some breathing things with the, the juvies and then a separate workshop with the staff. But the guy and they run these amazing programs. There's lots of personal and um, or lots of personal development for the, the juveniles and they go through when they get to the end, they are different people and they're respected, well um, looked after people. They respect each other. They respect people around them. Some of them are still um, quite risky in that environment, but a lot of them have done big transformation. They get released, 97% of them re-offend mm. and end up back in there or end up back in prison. When we look at why, a huge reason why is because they go back to the environment. They have changed, but the people in the environment haven't. haven't. And these people, then they get back into that environment, 
they can't be themselves in this new version because like the monkeys, they get the shit beaten out of them or just come brought back to like their quote unquote reality. So the longest ever standing psychological test. Okay. So the very first test psych- psychologists ever did on human beings was this. And it blows my mind. They've done it time and time and time and time and time again. And it doesn't really change at all. What they did was they got, they got four people, put them in a room. Three of them were actors. One of them was a real person. And they said to them, they said, all you need to do is tick which box. Um, so that we, we put four lines on the screen, right? So four lines, maybe in the videos, we can draw four lines, right? And one is significantly bigger, right? So four is the exact same. And the, and the third one is double the size, clearly bigger. So they say, all you need to do is we want you to tick the box of which one is different. So they all come in. The actors all were told to pick, to purposely pick the wrong one. So they all come in, they pick the same one. They picked A. Now the real dude comes in and he looks and he, he laughs. He's like, fuck, like what sort of tests are we doing? Are these guys even with it? Are they mentally ill? Like what's happening here? And then he circles clearly. See, it's like, clearly it's C. It's like double the size. Right, and there's been videos footage of of seeing people's reactions. They're like, <laughs> like bizarre. They reset it. They do it again. They jumble up the numbers. They jumble up the lines. Do it again. The actors are told come in, pick the wrong one again. Right, but they all have to pick. They so they told them which one they need to pick. So they all pick the same one. Right. So now they all come in. They choose B. And the actor comes in and he knows the answer is D. And he comes in. And he's like, and each time he's getting a little bit more inquisitive. And he's like, what? And he does it. Two, three, four, usually five more times. But each time he's like more unsure of himself. He's like, the hell? It's hey, hey. And then after about what they've seen about the fourth, fourth, fifth time, he'll come in and he feels so strange about it where he'll actually copy the actors, okay, and choose purposely the wrong answer. So what they've shown time and time and time and time again, that as as humans, it's more important for us to actually fit in to the people around us than it is for us to stand out and speak our truth mm. or, or to go after what we believe is right and to and to actually s- to state what we clearly think is the right answer. So it's more important for us to actually fit in with the clan and say, I would rather be wrong and fit in than right and stand out. Powerful. Right? And you think of like, look look at everything that's happened in, in the world the last few years, right? I was going to say the pandemic um, highlighted that significantly. Yeah. People were citing with sides, whether they're pro-vax or anti-vax or whatever. And a lot of people didn't even know why. Mm. Like it didn't didn't matter if you're a pro or anti or whatever, you know, but a lot of people were going along with it, getting their jabs. Uh, but if you if you did ask a lot of people, they'd be like, why are you doing it? I don't know. Everyone's doing it. Or, or the pressure. Yeah. Or, or yeah. We're like, well, we could dive all into that, right? I literally manipulate a human, um, right? How to effectively brainwash somebody. Um but then on the other side of it as well is is there's lots of other people that were so anti, but they didn't know why they're anti. Mm. So like, oh, everyone around me is over the government or whatever. It's like, are, are you making that decision based off your own analysis and your own decision for your body or just because everyone around you is also doing it and you don't want to be the one to go and get it, right? So it's so it's it's just an interesting thing. So let's talk about the, the kids in juvie. They get super skilled up and they've got better awareness. They come back to the environment. Now they've got to make the decision. Oh, do I stand out against my own pack and leave them? Because now the number one fear of it is abandonment. If I if I leave them, who will who will I be? Which community am I in? And it's super it's super scary. So a lot of people will go back to what's happening around them out of the fear 
of actually maybe standing alone for a, for a little while until they find a better community, right? So that, that that's why I'm big and I love the podcast Unbeatable You because I truly believe that if people become absolutely unbeatable and resilient, they're willing to walk alone to to pursue what they believe is right, regardless who's with them or not. Resilience is a funny one too because the world that is designed around us is designed for us to be less resilient. Mm. Shit is really easy these days. Drive through, I don't know, drive through ATMs, drive through coffee, drive through fast food that's poor for us as well. The, yeah, the click of a finger is you can be looking at someone on the other side of the world. Like Everything is instant, instant, instant. And our ability to actually have like you said before, emotional regulation, emotional intelligence, um, develop the skill of curiosity, adaptability, all of these. We're talking about it with Dr. Arna Rubenstein recently, actually, all these 21st century life skills are dwindling. And so anxiety and um, even if it's not mental illnesses, but mental challenges and this inability for people to handle life is triggered by the environments that we surround ourselves with. However, these life skills are available to all of us because we are human and to develop resilience if we look back to early our early days in as children uh, and the way that either we were parented but then when we created independence too of the risks that we didn't take and the challenges that we weren't faced with and therefore our inability to handle the challenges in life as we move through how much of your work is creating challenging situations for people for them to develop more resilience a bit <laughs> um, like you're talking about in our events, right? Oh, in so, anything that you do. Yeah. So I, the, the main way we work with people is, is through events. Like that's what I've, what I've realized is, uh, my, my speakers didn't know anything really about me. Uh, well, his, they knew who I was now, but they didn't know anything about my ability to learn a new skill set. And I think that's where the education system really screws up as well. They sort of stamp you with this thing saying, here's who you will be for the rest of your life, which is total nonsense because, you know, it's been proven. They used to think that the brain stopped growing at about 21, something like that. 21, 25, they think that. But now what they've shown through neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and all these sorts of things that any person can continually rewire their mind and learn a new skill set, new personality, and completely rewire their whole brain in any moment, any age, if they want to. So I, the, the stuff that we do is all in speaking and training because I love that. I realized I was like, oh, I, li I like to entertain. I like to teach. So I'm going to blend entertainment and really good, powerful, unconscious learnings and teachings from Sage. So we do that. But um, definitely, you know, at our three-day event, the Dream Lad Method, do we put people in situations to create resilience? Yeah. Parts like we do a massive exercise. I can't give it away because if, if I told people, maybe they'd be too scared to come. But um, what happens is when people come, we definitely put them through a situation to completely destroy fear. You're not uh, putting them in a box and one of them's got to climb up the ladder to collect bananas and then they get the shit. <laughs> and then I'm about, shooting mate. water at them. <laughs> shooting paintballs at them. No, um, yeah, we, we do a big exercise because fear is completely made up. So we really sort of help people sort of rewrite fear in the moment. And they do this exercise and everyone shits themselves when I'm telling them what they're about to do. And they're like, and, and I allow the mind to start creeping up where they're like, oh, but I can't do that. And then I do it right in front of everybody and they're like, holy shit. And I said, now you're next. And I teach them the things we've been learning for the last few days. We I teach them how to actually be in control of their mind, how to overcome this, not with brute force, but that literally just power their mind and how to completely destroy fear right in front of their eyes. So that's super, super cool. I, I would say at um, our second program, Advanced Leadership, 
we definitely put people in situations to uh, test their nervous system because uh, it's leadership. I, I really believe it's like if you're either a leader or you're a loser. You're someone in this life, you're creating problems or you're solving problems. So leaders are problem solvers and you know, in order to really create extraordinary lives, you've got to start within. So if you're someone who crumbles under pressure, then you're not going to perform very well in this world. If you're someone who crumbles of the opinion or judgments of people around you, then you know, you'll crumble. So how can we really help people build resilience and build a mentally strong mind um, and do the tasks at hand without getting in their own mind and letting it disable them? So that's kind of the main thing. So yeah, I definitely frame a lot of our stuff around that because I think that's the best way to learn. It's like you can learn something, you can understand it, you know, so you can read about it in the book, you can hear about it, learn it or whatever, but then you can embody it. And if you embody it, it's actually like learning through doing. Now I've, I look back at all the stuff I've done I've invested like quarter million dollars or something now into my own personal growth. Some of the biggest things I've learned is by actually doing something and going, shit. Like I, I just got my skydive license. So now I'm- Congrats. Yeah, it's super cool. You should, you should do it. Just come along. And I, I tell people, they're like, they're like, why'd you want to do it? I'm like, for all the, well, for all the major reasons, like jumping out of a plane, pretty gnarly. It's like super fun. But um, the first two days, I didn't realize how big of a personal development journey it was. So I get there and I was absolutely petrified because day one, they sit you in a room. They sit in a room and for nine hours straight, it's like death by PowerPoint and they tell you all the things that can go wrong uh, while parachuting. Then they show you pictures of it. <laughs> all the pictures of like twisted parachutes, two parachutes coming out at once, tangles, all this stuff. And now I'm looking at it, I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do this. <laughs> I was literally questioning. I was like, you know, like I live a sick life. Like, do I really need to skydive? Like, I'd be, you know, I nearly convinced myself out. I was like, you know, I don't really need to do that. Come on. Called my missus and I, I said, I'm just really considering. Like, I'm not sure if I, if it's really something for me or not. And she's like, well, if you know, if you get in that gut feeling, just say, no, your intuition's so good. Don't do it. Don't do it. I said, I'm not sure if it's my intuition or if it's just, you know, my head. Because it's really strong right now. And I'm not sure. I said, I'm going to sleep on it. Tomorrow I wake up, we'll do three, our first three solo jumps and I'll, I'll decide before I jump if I'm going to do it or not. And I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling absolutely pumped. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. So I cleared the feeling for a bit and I asked myself, and I was like, what are you, what are you really worried about? Because you, you see all day long, people jump out of an airplane and they land. They go in the airplane, they go up, they, they all come back. So what are you worried about? And I was like, well, and the voice in my head was, what if you don't open the parachute? <laughs> And then my other voice in my head, right, was like, well, why wouldn't you open the parachute? I was like, well, I don't fucking know. It's a possibility. What if I get out there, I forget it, I can't find it, or I freeze, I black out, anything can happen. What if I don't open it? And then some other voice comes back and it's like, ah, so, it's, so you're not really scared of jumping out of the airplane. You're not really scared of the free fall. You're scared of trusting yourself. Mm. I was like, oh, man. It's like, damn, that's the big one. So then I get out there, I exit the airplane. And the only thing I focus on doing, I'm like, I'm just going to do a good exit and I'm going to find my ripcord and I'm going to pull that thing. The first time I pulled it, came out perfectly, landed on the ground. I landed and I had the biggest yell. I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, I was just pumped. And then what happened was every single time after of me pushing my comfort zone, it's exactly what it was. My comfort zone is just a bit bigger now than what it was 10 years ago, you know? 10 years ago, was go talk to a girl. Now it's like jump, throw yourself out of an airplane at 15,000 feet with nothing but a backpack. So like when every single time we push our comfort zone, it's scary. 
every single time I've met anyone who's pushed their comfort zone and did something that was scary, they get to the other side of it and they want to do it again. There's a thrill. Dopamine, it's exciting. But what I think, it's, it's the growth factor. People are like, damn, I am more capable of things than what I thought I was. And the way I explain it is the more we push our comfort zone, the more we get to live an uncomfortable life. The more we live, the more we get comfortable being uncomfortable, we can expand to this third area called the unknown zone, which is, I think is the most amazing place on our planet to live. The place of absolute uncertainty, absolute excitement, having no idea what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but trusting yourself full-heartedly that you have everything you need within to make it out. And you'll never get to that point of having 100% full self-trust if you're not willing to do things that are a little scary sometimes. So how else can people develop self-trust without jumping out of an airplane? <laughs> well, you can do it the small way or the big way, right? <laughs> look, I, I think like, and look, this is literally a recent realization. Like, and I've, I've taught this stuff for, you know, eight years or something now. I've taught comfort zone, uncomfortable zone, unknown zone. I've taught all this stuff for so long. And it wasn't until I was skydiving and I said that to myself, like, you don't trust yourself. I was like, damn. So if I was to really sort of give advice here and be like, how can you start to develop more self-trust? It's exactly doing that. Find the edge of your comfort zone. What are you comfortable doing? Like, where is it? Where is the edge where you start to actually go, this is very uncomfortable for me to do? Whether it's public speaking, whether it's recording social media videos. Like, if you want to start super slow, right? The number one fear in the world is uh, public speaking, followed by dying. So most people would rather be in the box and give the eulogy at their own funeral. So most people could actually be pushing their comfort zone by just testing themselves and signing up for a speaking class, speaking course, uh, starting their own podcast, doing videos, anything like this, that if they're aware of where they're like, oh my God, I can never do that because of all the bullshit reasons I told them, told myself why I can't, you know, that might be a good place to start because there's no real immediate danger there. You throw yourself out of an airplane, it's an extreme sport. Of course there's danger. Shit can go wrong. You can die. But you got to miss lots of things. you got to be very unlucky, same as driving a car. But if you want to start something small where you know that the fear is completely made up in your head, what's something you could do that you won't die, but if you did it, it would push in your comfort zone? Nine times out of 10, well, actually, no. I would say 10 times out of 10. You will do this and you get to the other side of it and be like, actually, I feel really good about that. Mm. The first time I spoke in front of a crowd, I was absolutely, I was shitting myself and I spoke in front of maybe like 80, 90 people or something. And I was so petrified. I was sweaty palms and I was walking, like I was walking backwards into the wall behind me. I was, you know, and I hit the wall and I was like, shit, I can't, can't go any further back. And it was, it was horrible. It was like, and it was only for two or three minutes. I went and sat back down after and the feeling I had when I sat back down, it didn't leave me for the whole night like three, four, five hours later, people come up to me later in the night, like, oh my God, a really good story. You really, I was like, I never, what the hell? People like, oh my God, it resonated so much with what you shared and all these sorts of stuff. And I think that really started to hook me where I was like, wow, this is actually not as bad as what I thought it was. I can start doing it more and more and more and more and more. Then eventually now someone asked me the other day, he's like, do you get stage fun? I'm like, no, I get, I get jazzed. I get it so excited because I know the feeling that's going to come after it now. Mm. So yeah, a lot of people mix, I think, fear with excitement and they're not sure exactly what it is because they've never done it and i i really believe that the biggest like my ultimate fear is getting to the end of my life and meeting the person who i could have become if i decided to actually listen to all the doubts and judgment 
powerful. How much of – I'm thinking about a lot of the people that I work with, uh, kind of middle-age bracket, 35 to 55, 60-ish, and uh, a lot of business owners that are pricing work. So a lot of, the, a lot of them might be traders that have had a very different experience to you in your early trade mm-hmm. days. And they're doing well, but they're also – don't they don't trust themselves to be able to charge more even if the quality's good. They don't trust themselves to be able to um, create more wealth, so to say. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you see in the work that you do around um, self-trust, the, the lack of self-trust in areas and that manifesting in not being able to generate the wealth that they really desire and deserve? Money is a self-worth problem because money is about receiving. So we have another program called Mind and Money. So I partnered that one with one of my good friends, Lloyd. He's a multimillionaire. He teaches all like the practical is how to take your money and throw gasoline on it and let it, you know, in a good way, right? Build your investment portfolio and retire really the next seven to 10 years. And then I come in and unfuck people's minds. But what I've noticed is if you struggle to receive, you'll struggle to really charge your worth um, because it, it's all down to a self-worth thing. So if we have always limiting beliefs of like, and money is an interesting thing because it's, where did you learn about money? So let's look at the monkey paradigm, right? Zero to seven years old is the imprint phase, right? So your whole mind is completely unconscious, just open to suggestions and every single thing, every single thing that's being said around you, you're seeing around you is just being soaked up inside of your brain and be like, that is how the life works. Seven to 14 is the modeling phase. So who do we, who's our role models? Who are we looking for? And then, 14, 21 socialization phases. So let's look at these three phases. Zero to seven growing up. What were all the stories that were told to you around money? Who had money? Who didn't have money? Did you have a lot of it? Did you have a little bit about it? When you had a lot, what happened? When you had a little, what happened? And then the next phase, seven to 14, the role modeling phase. What do most kids do? They watch cartoons. Every single, who's, who's the character that has all the money? They're always the Mr. Burns, Mr. Right? Burns. Mr. Burns. They're always the people that the rich old man trying to kill the world, take over, right? Kind of like the Bill Gates, right? And, um, you know, so people, that's, that's the role model. So they already have a perception that making a lot of money is bad. Rich people are evil, da, 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 And they don't know where it's come from. And then 14 and 21, they start, you know, going into the real world and seeing what's happening around them. So if people are struggling to really charge the prices they want, it's definitely a self-worth thing of actually being willing to, to say, yeah, my work is fantastic and I'm going to charge what I, what I believe it's worth. Now, there's a fine line of being delusional about it and then charging what you actually, I, I see a lot of people, especially in the coaching space come out these days and like, I'm going to charge my worth. I'm like, but what, what's your worth? You're a 22-year-old life coach who's broke. Come on, let's just be realistic for a second. How, like, what do you mean you get to charge people $1,000 an hour to have conversations around money? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why don't you take the things you know, apply it to your own life, go and create some results, create some success, and then you'll probably feel a lot better to actually charge that because you damn, you know damn right that you're a living, breathing example of it. So I think people, the conflict can come from people actually just trying to tell themselves they're a lot better than what they are, and there is a level of delusion there. But you know, if there's people like what you're talking about in the, the trading life and stuff where they can produce amazing results and they've got the experience, you've really got to look at, and, and I struggled this a lot when I went from, trady life into you know out of the matrix call it right because in the system you'll you'll charge this much money and the people around you will dictate whether this is a lot of money or this is a lot of money 
and I like to listen to the people around me. You see, I was I was talking to uh, my mentor a little while ago, and we we're about to go play golf together. And I asked him, I was like, you know, everything's like it's crashing right now, the economy, blah 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 blah. What are you doing with your money? What do you what do you you know what are your plans? And he's like, oh, I'm just sort of sitting on a little bit of money right now. I'm just going to sit on. I've just you know I've got my investments going and business going, but I've just you know. I'm just putting a little bit of cash in the bank to sort of buy some stuff. I said, I, oh, well, what are you going to buy? He's like, well, I don't know. I've just, you know, I've just got a few million bucks. Um, I'm just going to buy a couple of things that pop up. And I'm like, see, that was your perception of a little bit of money, a few million US dollars sitting in the account. Wild. <laughs> right? But I could talk to some other people like, like, like my parents growing up, like a little bit of money was, was literally maybe making average wage, right? Dad was, it was with a stereotypical family. Dad would go to work. Mom stayed home with us. So I grew up thinking that a lot of money was six figures a year and above. Because I heard stories like, oh my God, that person makes a lot of money. They make six figures. Mm. So I started hearing, oh my God, six figures is a lot of money. But now like, I truly have a belief that a six-figure month is below average. And like, and like I, I just become very useless. It doesn't sound like a dick in any way, but it's just like, like if we do it a day, right, it's quite it's quite often that we'll do days with well, well, well over six figures in a day. And and it just feels very normal. And that's how I want it to feel. But mm. I want it to also feel like, oh, I want that happening every day. Mm. Like we I, I want we like we really want to get to like multiple, multiple, multiple six figures and like the goal is really a million a month in the next five years. And we want that to sort of be that's the normal. So if people are struggling to charge their worth. It's really a matter of actually going like, well, where in you, where in you are you, do you feel bad, right, about charging or obtaining or having a lot of money? What's your perception of people who have a lot of money? And where are you blocking yourself from actually not receiving? So a lot of people, if they started to actually just receive anything, period, it would open up the floodgates to everything else. So like practice going up to a stranger in a shopping center and saying, hey, would you, would you mind buying me this cup of coffee? nothing else and just seeing how that feels seeing how that feels <laughs> asking a stranger to buy you something uh the first time i did it it was so hard and i found myself trying to make up all these stories oh but I'm trying to justify it and then now i do it for fun sometimes like sometimes i legitimately i like the other day i took my jet ski out and i forgot my wallet i had apple pay and i went to go fill it up and they didn't it was the after hours thing i didn't take apple pay and i was like Shit, I, I'm not getting home because I like to leave everything to the edge. It's <laughs> like I need to fill up. And I was like, damn. And um, so there was another guy there and I asked him, I was like, hey, dude, I left my wallet at home. Um, you wouldn't mind spotting me 20 bucks, would you? And I was thinking in my head, I was like, oh, should I say to him, like, oh, I'll transfer it? I was like, of course I will. But like, I'm also, I'm also just going to test. It's $20. You're out on your jet ski. 20 bucks is going to be okay for you. Like, it's not like I'm taking money from a homeless person. So I was like, you wouldn't mind swapping me 20 bucks? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Cool. Puts 20 bucks on my ski. That's it. Thanks, brother. And I just went and I was like, that's so interesting. Like, but how cool is that The if the world can operate like that? Mm. Like if we're all not resistant to receiving, because that person would leave them and feel so good that he was able to make a difference in my day. If you've ever given something to someone before, you feel amazing about it. And when you stop receiving from that, you're actually receiving, you're stopping that person from having that feeling. So, And to receive means that you value your worth. Yeah. I, I am worthy to actually receive. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's the same with compliments. It's yes. the same with accepting people's compliments. Dudes are really bad at it. Or especially Aussie dudes. Yes. Because it's like the the tall poppy kind of syndrome yeah. type thing of and accepting those compliments is then developing that skill of acceptance, mm-hmm. that skill of um feeling worthy and also the awkwardness that comes with it in the beginning. Yeah. I remember years ago where I'd be the one deflecting it, but now yeah. when people will give me a compliment, thank you. Just just accept it. Thank you. Yeah. And I often give one back, but thank you. <laughs> exactly. Of, oh no, you know, it's just this, it's just that. And and a funny one is like for dudes listening to this with their girlfriend or their partner, their wife's whatever. Next time she says, he says, whatever, says, I love you. Say, thank you. First time I talked about this, people are like, oh, how could you? I'm like, why why do I have to say if if me having to say I love you back, right? makes them feel good, then that's a problem already for them. So if if the feeling, like, and I'm not saying being an ass, I'm not saying like, of course you have to, exp- like if, if you don't love your partner, then you know, as we'll talk about relationships the next episode maybe. But I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when you have someone who expresses genuine love and acceptance for you, let it land and actually accept it without having to feel like you have to say it back to just let that feeling feel better. So, so instead of being like, oh, I love you. I love you too so much. It's like, no, just actually stop for a second and, and really receive that feeling that this person who's sharing your life with, uh, with you loves you so much to express that with you. It's accept them. Be like, thank you. And it's it, also good for the giver to not do it because they want it in return. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, so if, if, if you say thank you and they're like, oh, well, you don't love me back. Like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line here, right? And you got to use your own judgment. If 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 there is problems of you actually giving, then that's another conversation. But if if they if they are saying it in hope that you say it back to complete them, that's an issue for them. Mm. They've got to work on that. But if we're talking about the power of receiving, like these are some things to test it. Ask a stranger to buy you a random cup of coffee. Ask a stranger to buy you something. Uh, or the next time someone gives you an amazing compliment, just say thank you. Let land actually accept that. Next time your partner says, I love you, thank you, right? Maybe let it go five minutes and then, hey, I really love you as well. (laughs) I tell you who it's good to practice with is young toddlers Mm. because they often don't say it back. I can say it 10 times to my kids and I know they love me, but I'm not doing (laughs) it expecting it. I love you back. (laughs) Yeah. And it's good as well like because it it is an interesting thing like because if you you give it to somebody, like I'll often, I say I love you to so many people. In fact, everybody. I just... I just love people. I don't. I don't choose to. If I'm going to choose to do anything with someone, I I love people. I don't like. You know what I mean? It's just. It's just how I like to do things. So if I'm going to really spend quality time with people, I just genuinely love the time with them, and and I'll share that with them. And now that I'm saying, I'm thinking about the times when people don't say it back to me. It actually matters nothing else to me at all. It's like because it's it's for me. I'm I'm just, I'm just expressing to you my appreciation for you. That's amazing. I don't need I don't need the validation back. I don't need you to say, oh, I love you too. I appreciate you. I'm just, I, I just, this is for me. I just want to express it. They take it. Mm. Uh, the book that comes to mind is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And one of them is don't take anything personally. Yeah. And your ability to, if people don't express that back, if you take that personally, that's a clear sign that um, there's a bit of lack of self-worth there as well. Yeah. 100%. In that equation. Yeah. I, what I've realized is every single problem, right, that we create in the world all stems back from a lack of self-esteem and self-worth like everything if we don't have the money we want 
because we because imagine if you truly 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 believed wholeheartedly that you're worthy and had the esteem levels of getting and having and achieving and maintaining every single thing you want in this world you'd settle at nothing other than that mm. so people will block themselves financially health relationships life because at some degree they don't feel like they're worthy for that next level is just which is so cool because the brain is just this big onion you just continually peel back layer after layer after layer and their work will never be done i was talking to someone yesterday about this they're like but i already did your event and now this has come up that's fantastic because you weren't aware of that a week ago now we remove some layers now you got more shit mm. to deal with isn't that incredible but now you're more skilled up and tooled up to actually handle that in your life now yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, and I'm mindful of time because, uh, as you said at the beginning, we've we've squeezed this one in, and I'm grateful for that. You're about to head to Bali, and I'm heading to Canada, and nice. uh, we wanted to to get this this chat in. So, I'd love to for you to just share with the listeners the. Um, we've had a really good chat, but you've also got a framework, and you've got the four pillars mm-hmm. that you've uh, developed through life experiences that you shared with us at the beginning. What are those four pillars, just briefly? Yeah. So yeah, so these are the, the four pillars literally creating a dream life. Um, so the first one is the right environment. We talked about that. So you've got to have the right environment. In order to create the life you want, you need to have the right environment internally and externally. What that means is literally choosing the cage of monkeys you surround yourself with, literally, right? Or I also use the analogy of like most people living in a world of black and white and eventually you'll come up to a fence, you'll climb and you'll peek over and you'll see a world of color. Once you see the world of color, you know what life could be if you decide to let go of your fears, your doubts, your frustrations, your limiting beliefs, and the herd mentality that are holding you back. Because eventually when you start to tell the other people in black and white lands, like, hey, this is in color, they guys start to be like, oh, here we go. Another person, yeah, we lost our great uncle Jerry to that wall of color. He never came back. Oh, I'll tell you what, I've been over the wall. There's a reason why we don't go back, right? So eventually you've got to, you've got to choose the right environment that's going to support your growth. And, and we've talked about that, like with the, with the juvie kids and everything. It's, it's, it's just been proven time and time and time again. If, That's if, a huge difficulty for people, isn't it? Like, do you see that often where people <clears> are like, yeah, but like they're my friends or yeah, but, uh, yeah, but they don't this, have, is, this is what I've always known. They don't have to, um, yeah, look, they're, they're, they're choosing, they're choosing uh, long-term pain without knowing it. So they think they're getting a payoff now. Because they're trying to do the thing that's least painful now. Because that's what we're all trying to do. We're just trying to survive. But eventually, if you keep doing what's easy, life will, extremely, will be extremely hard one day and you won't be able to avoid that. But I think sometimes people do think they have to cancel all their friends, lean all of social media. That's not what happens. But eventually, what will happen is if you start to choose your, yourself, your goals, your future more, eventually, it'll just you probably will spend less time with them. But what will happen is what happened to me is I started to catch up with my old friends and we just don't have anything in common anymore. Like, I don't care about going out and getting girls and doing all this shit anymore. Like, I care about business. I care about goals, growth, exciting, like, exciting shit, like, bucket list stuff. That's what I want to do in my life. So, eventually, they started to not even have common interests anymore, which was very interesting because if your only reason for being with these friends is based off common interests, that's not a friend group. It's a fucking work colleague. Right, mm. <clears throat> so I've had friends from back in my old crew who I'm still very good mates with, and when we catch up, we talk about things that we bond over. We talk about things that he talks about his values. I talk about my values, but we're just great mates, and and that's awesome because we're supportive of each other. And I think that's the the foundation of a fantastic friendship. So if you if the sheer fact of you want to pursue something meaningful for you 
threatens the old group and they're like, ah, oh, whatever, then that's probably a really good sign for you to leave anyway, right? Because a lot of people are in surface level friendships. And the, the, what will also happen if they're listening to this podcast and they consume this sort of content, tell you what, there's a whole group of people that are just like you. Mm. And when you get into that circle, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe these people out here like this as well that, that also want to encourage each other, support each other. And you get in there and it's like a, a festing ground for just your dreams and goals. It's, it's phenomenal, right? Um, and then that's what I, I try to so, uh, so much to create like through our events and stuff, just the culture, the community, because people will come to an event and then, and then what, mm. right? Like people, some people join us now. We've got an elite mastermind and spent a whole year with us and do amazing stuff with us. But then other people just go and hang out with people that have attended the events and people date each other and they move in with each other and they start businesses together and starting to see the most coolest things happen because people just get connected to good people. So the first one is the right environment. The external environment will shape our internal environment. So literally if we start to unweed the garden inside of our brain, right? Uh, inside that tell us that we can go after our, our, uh, our bananas. So if you take the monkey out of here, put him into a new environment, the old weed's still in there, but eventually the, 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 the environment will weed it all out. And it's like, actually, I can't have my bananas. We'll go after it. So mm. getting those two. Next one is the right vehicle. So you've got to try to choose the right vehicles for you. So the right financial vehicle, relationship vehicle, whatever it is for you of where you're actually destined to go to. Most of the time, it's the financial thing because you need money. And I truly believe how much money you make and how you make your money is probably two of the most important things in the world. If, if you make hardly any money, not saying... Money doesn't bring happiness, but lack of money will bring unhappiness. So I think people should have a goal to still create a lot of money. Not necessarily for the money, but for the person they need to become along the journey to make it. If you make so much where you don't need any more, give it all away. Yeah, exactly. Money creates opportunities. Money yeah, creates adventure. Money, you can create more connection more love, more yep. fucking impact, more change in the world by making more money. There's just this big negative thing about, oh, if you're greedy, if you want to make more money, now fuck that. There's there's never less money in the world. It's just going to be funneled in a certain way. So jump in the funnel and mm-hmm. use it in the way that supports you and supports the world. Yeah. There's more and more money every single day. And money's not real. It's just, it's just printed. It's just paper. It's just a, it's an energy. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, but the vehicle is super important because if, if you – we go through a process of people and really help them discover their true north in life. Because I, I was sitting down with Les Brown, having a chat with Les, and I said to him, I said, do you really think that everyone can live their dream life? So he's really big on the, you got to chase your dreams. I'm like, do you really think that though, Les? And he's like, well, that's why you're here. He's like, 400 trillion chances to one of you being born. You're not here by accident. He's like, you're not here by chance. You are here to pursue and bring life to your coded dreams mm. whatever that is for you that book that course that 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 charity that business that career you may be put on this earth to be the best motherfucking barista has ever been seen and if that is what lights you up when you go to bed at night thinking about the whipped cream and, and the, the patterns you can put in shit if if that fuels your soul then you get up the next day and you make then then you just have so much life that person who would rather work at the McCafe doing coffees for us her life, who gets so excited about that, has a way better quality of life, making $45,000 a year than Bob, who's a freaking engineer, making 200 grand a year, working 60 hours a week, who hates his life, never sees his family and kids. This person's way more successful, way more successful. But what I would still encourage this person to do is to then go and get smart with business and money and learn how can you multiply this and still be the barista. Because you look at Jamie Oliver, he's, he's just a chef, 
Mm. Chef's one of the lowest paid careers out there, right? He's not, not a high income earner, but why is he one of the highest paid chefs in the world? So he went and become the best, mm. right? So if you're absolutely obsessed with being a barista, go, how can you become the absolute best? The law of income will state you will get paid in direct proportion, proportion to the need for what you do, your ability to do it, and the difficulty it is in replacing you. Mm. So if you're, you want to be a freaking barista, that's fantastic. Go after it, but be the absolute best in the world because then you'll get paid in direct proportion to it. You'll make coffees for the king mm. and pay $100,000 a day just to sit there, right? Or whatever it is, right? But so you, what do you want to be the best in the world at? That's a good question. I haven't really thought about what I want to be it's the It's going to make you the million dollars a month that your goal is over the next Well, these, years. these events, that's, that's okay. our biggest thing. So really just impact, like speaking, communicating. I think if I could, it's quite funny you ask me that question. I haven't really thought about being like, I want to be the best because being the best doesn't drive me doesn't drive me to be like, I want to be better than anyone else. Uh, I do want to be my best. Mm. I want to be my best. and I, I think that's a good distinction for everyone listening to that you don't have to be better than the next business and better than the next trader or better than the other barista. It's like, how can I be my absolute fucking best? And yeah. then when I'm there, how can I be better again? Yeah. And not exactly. in that pursuit of like grinding and putting yourself down, but just in that really aligned way of that growth, that development, that passion, that purpose, and also the ripple effect that comes off that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but being aware of that, no, and being aware of if you're tolerating pushing yourself that next level and getting more, or if you're settling for something less. But um, I'll I'll think about that. That's that's good. I'm glad you asked that question. Well, you don't even have to be the best in the world just because you mentioned that yeah, language. No, that's I was thinking about. I was like, this is very interesting that you said it to me because I'm like, that is my mentality. I'm like, what is the thing I actually want to be? You know, but it's like, like, do you want to conquer Tony Robbins in these events and speaking world? Is that something that is on your mind? Honestly. No, um, because I think Tony deserves a hell of a lot of credit. Uh, and to even sort of say like, I want to be better than Tony, I would sort of see it as a disrespectful light almost of like what he's done for humanity and this whole space thing is absolutely incredible. Uh, and he's phenomenal. If one day when I've been doing it for 40 years, if I could be on the same sort of caliber and be able to communicate a message as a ticket articulately articulately got a long way to go right if i can do it as effectively <laughs> as him then i'd be absolutely stoked um but the main thing is for me i want to make sure that i can do stuff on a big level big degree make a big impact but have a shitload of fun along the way so i think a lot of the ways he's done it i probably wouldn't do like mm. i think he's built this amazing career but he's almost like if he doesn't run his event anymore it's kind of like stopped and so i'm wanting to sort of how can I create this so much bigger than me where I can actually duplicate this process and have our programs and events all around the world even that run even if I'm there or not mm. and create a real educational sort of academy. And uh, that's kind of my, my, my angle I want to go down. And when people do come to ones with me, I just want them to be absolutely fun-filled and really help people ignite that inner passion. So, but to sort of finish this. Yes, pillar three and pillar four. Yeah, Let's pillar wrap three. it up. All right, <laughs> we so can chat right, all day. We'll get you right back vehicle. on and have a, have a bit of a yard. <laughs> <laughs> you got the right vehicle. You got to pick the right one for you. It's an absolutely inspiring for you because I think if you go after challenges that inspire you, um, you'll you'll live a life worth living. Otherwise, you'll be faced with challenges that don't inspire you, and you'll have to face them regardless. So you might as well face challenges that inspire you. Third one is the right timing. So you've got to ask yourself when is now the right time? It is right now. Uh, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate. And the reason they do this is because they're not either clear on what they want or why they want it. So if they get absolutely crystal clear. Uh, this is the goal. Usually it derives enough excitement from them, enough pleasure 
they go, oh my God, if I get that, I will get this. There's a reward. So if they go, oh my God, if, if I can overcome this and get this, my life will be better than what it is here. So if they get a crystal clear vision of their life, then they have to marry it up with the second, or which is the number one uh, motivating force in all human behavior, which is pain. We'll do anything to avoid pain. Then secondary, we'll do uh, everything to gain pleasure. We'll do anything to avoid pain first. So if we can get absolutely crystal clear on why staying where we are right now is more painful than actually getting up off our ass and taking the action, until we do that, we'll sit on our ass still and do what's easy every single day. So we've got to really look at that and be like, hey, if I keep doing this in 10 years, I'm going to be fat, broke, lazy, and single. I don't want that. So I'm going to do what's hard now so down in the end of it, I can have a really easy, simple life. The last one is becoming the right you. You've got to become the right you. Every single new level is a new devil inside of you that you've got to overcome. And you've got to rewire and work through. And there's three different parts of becoming the right you. First one is the right belief system. Whether we believe we can or we believe we can't, we're right either way. Forget who said that. Maybe Henry Ford. And it's so freaking true, you know. No one in history ran a four-minute mile until Roger Bannister did. Every single person uh, failed and failed and failed. In fact, people would get close to it. And the, the last person who tried before Roger, he fainted, right? And he nearly died. And scientists were like, it's physically impossible. No one could ever do it. Then Roger, he was like, no, I see what I want. I visualize, I visualize. And he kept working, kept working, kept working. He had this absolute belief in himself that's possible. And he did it. And then six weeks later, another person did it. And then another, and another, and another. Now there's been thousands do it. Why could thousands do it before no one could do it? Why? Because Roger Bannister changed everyone else's belief that it was actually possible. They said, well, if he can do it, if humans can do it, I can do it as well. So if we've got the belief that we can actually achieve the things we want, we'll go after it. But if we believe that we're unworthy, if we don't believe we're good enough, it doesn't matter how good our skills are. You could be the absolute best guitarist on the planet. But if you believe that no one will want to listen to you, you'll never take that stage and play. And unfortunately, no one will ever get to hear how good you could be. Mm. The next one is our values. Our values are the things that are most important to us. And this is where people get so conflicted. This is where I spend literally half a day, the Dream Out Loud method, helping people just rewire this. Because if people have a value system that is, hey, these are the things that are super important for me in my life. Success, money, love. But they have a limiting belief that says, but if I achieve this, it'll bring me this. And their perception is, well, that's painful. We'll do anything to avoid pain, right? They'll continually self-sabotage because unconsciously they want to wreck it because their brain's trying to protect you and say, well, if you do that, it's going to bring pain. We don't want that. So we're here, here's the problem. Here, let's spend your money here. Let's attract something bad here. And it'll just self-sabotage you over and over. So if anyone's ever had large amounts of self-sabotaging or just feeling like it's a hustle and a grind, because it's not working in alignment together. So the conscious mind should be the goal setter. The unconscious mind should be the goal getter. You put these things in alignment, things happen very easily for people. And the last part of becoming the right you is having the right attitude, which people could get all this from this whole podcast right now and be like, oh my God, I just took so many things, but now I forget it because Morgan talks 100 mile an hour. But here's the thing. You can listen to it again. <laughs> rack <laughs> you can up, slow it down. Rack up these views, baby. Um, but... If the only thing you get is this, let this be the one. Is every single thing that's happening in our life is happening for us. But if we believe it's happening to us, we'll continue to create problems from it. So there's three types of people in the world. The first person will sit there and they'll just complain about the wind. The wind's blowing on them. They're like, oh my God, the wind. You don't understand how hard my life is. You know, if only the wind blew another direction, I'd be more successful, happy, have the results I want. 
and they continually blame external resources. They blame outside of themselves. They put all the responsibility outside themselves and they just be the victim. The second person, they sit there and they put all their crystals in alignment. They get their cacao bowl. They sit there under the full moon and they just wish and they wish and they wish and they just hope and they hope and they hope and they hope and they hope that the wind will eventually change for them. And they keep doing the same thing again and again and again, but being hopeful. And this is delusional. This is being like, ah, I hope it's okay. I trust the universe will happen. The wind will change. The wind will change. Let's just don't change anything, guys. Let's keep doing it again and again and again and again. And let's just hope it changes. And then we all know that that's the definition of insanity. Then the third person, the third person's, the third people are the people who really get up and create extraordinary shit in this world because they have an attitude where they go, I'm just going to get up and change my fucking sails. The wind's not blowing the direction I want it to go. It's my responsibility to change my sails. If it's blowing left and I want to go right, I'm going to adjust accordingly. Then the wind changes again. I'm going to adjust accordingly. Then I'm going to adjust accordingly. And I'm going to adjust accordingly. And if you can develop the mindset and the attitude to continually adjust your own sails in any type of wind, you will continually succeed in life. Because it's only the people that blame, complain, and justify push all the results outside of them. Those, those who take 100% responsibility, what is happening, have all the power to actually control and manipulate their life. I love it. And there's so much in there that we could unpack, but I'm very, very mindful of time now. So thank you for clarifying those. And as you said, that people can go back and listen, put it on half speed if Morgan's speaking too fast for you, put it on double speed if you just want to download it all really quickly into your mind. But mate, where can people find you and follow you online to learn more about your books, your events, and uh, just follow your wisdom? Yeah, a few places. So um, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but we've actually got our biggest event of the year coming up dream fest in august which is gonna be super cool We've got, like james smith speaking at that um aaron sanitone like top business coach in australia like uh yeah it's gonna be phenomenal um so people can check out that at www.dreamfest2023.com you get tickets to that uh otherwise just come to my instagram at morgan t nelson my podcast is called dream out loud we have interviewed amazing people we're gonna have you on there um, you know, I've had some incredible guests on there. It's heaps of value on there. I give everything away for free on there. Um, that's dream out loud. And then my website, morgantnelson.com. You can sort of check out everything there, but I don't know. Come to Instagram, say hi, come to dream fest. It's going to be phenomenal. And, um, I just hope this was valuable for someone. Of course it was Morgan. You're a legend. I want to acknowledge you for your passion and drive to not only create your own dream life, but support thousands and thousands of people to create and live their dream lives keep shining your abundant light to the world my man i love it man i appreciate you so much thanks for having me appreciate you too <laughs> love it brother there you go another empowering episode and thanks again for tuning in make sure you check out the show notes for any extra links or information that we spoke about in this episode don't forget you can now catch the unbeatable you podcast on the youtube channel brett robbo coach If you want info and inspiration straight into your inbox on how to live an unbeatable life, you can sign up to receive weekly insights and actionable steps for optimal performance and thriving in every aspect of your life, plus first release offers on Unbeatable You courses and live events. Don't worry, there's no spam, just short, punchy, value-giving emails straight to you. Simply go to brettrobbo.com forward slash community. 
If you find value in this podcast, don't forget to share it around with your mates and subscribe, rate, and review. It really supports the podcast mission massively. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can connect with me at, at Brett Robbo Coach on social media, and that's where you can let me know who you want to hear on the show. Keep thriving, legends, and as always, remember, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? This is your opportunity to live your unbeatable life.